Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. In this conversation with Sarah, I really appreciated how she has wrestled with integrating the social sciences and theology. And I think this is so important for the church going forward. And I also like the picture of the two of them being in conversation with each other and that we will be the richer for it. The other thing for me about integration that she highlights is the link between our minds and our bodies. And I think too often within church spaces, we can focus a lot on our minds and just assume if we can get our minds sorted, that everything else is going to be sorted as well. But the focus on the whole being becoming well, that includes mind and body, is something that I appreciated from Sarah. And I also really love the idea of being on a spectrum of being well and unwell, and that any of us at any point in time in our lives will be somewhere along that spectrum. And it just feels like we can be more generous with ourselves and therefore generous with others. So let's listen to this conversation with Sarah. Well, Sarah, welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. It's so wonderful to be able to spend some time with you hearing some of your story and some of your expertise. Thank you, Stephen. It's very cool to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, maybe as we start, it will be great to get to know you a little bit more for those of us who who don't know you well. Could you tell us a, a little of your story and then we'll kind of jump into some of your passion and expertise? Sure thing. So I grew up in West Auckland and studied business. And then at business school, I was wondering uh, how business could be used as a tool to empower others, not just make the CEO rich. And so when I, I went to a, on a trip after that to India and was very inspired by freedom businesses, offering alternative employment to women that were trapped in the sex trade. So mm. I got very excited about that. And we did youth work in, in West Auckland for, for six years and some community work stuff and then, and then moved to India to start uh, the Loyal Workshop my husband and uh, two kids, Michaela and Malachi, and uh, moved over when they were littleies, just um, three months old and two years old, and started the Loyal Workshop, very rich and rewarding and very difficult work, and then Mm. became very acutely unwell with post-traumatic stress disorder in 2018. I came back to New Zealand for a time of healing and rest and recovery, and we ended up deciding to, it was time to hand over the business to locals. So we went back to uh, India to hand over and then moved back to New Zealand permanently about 18 months ago. So now I live in the Karangahaki Gorge and doing some financial mentoring and some community work with whānau in our community and just doing a little bit of lawyer work too. Wow. Mm. What a journey. <laughs> yes, huge journey. Yes. So you've you've mentioned the experience of, mm. of post-traumatic stress disorder. That, yes. And that has driven you to do some study uh, mm-hmm. in, in that area, particularly in the areas of, of trauma. Could you talk a little bit about what led you, I mean, I guess that experience led you into that, but what are, what are the elements kind of led you into that study and, and perhaps tell us a little bit about what you have learned? 
Sure, yeah. So I don't use the word trauma lightly. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot. But I like the definition that Bessel van der Kolk gives of trauma. So not just something, you know, something really horrible that happened or a bad experience, but it's more than that. Bessel says trauma is not the story of something that happened back then, but the current imprint of that pain, horror and fear living inside people. These Mm. events can hold us in a state of helplessness and terror and alter our perception of danger. So really, uh, quite interestingly, I never associated the word trauma with my own story until I became sick. It was always something that the ladies that we worked with had. So Mm. I I actually read Bessel's van der Kolk's book, Body Keeps the Score, thinking about the woman that we worked with the entire time, not thinking about myself at all, because people didn't use that language about my childhood. And so I never processed the stuff that was there. I didn't even know most of what was the, what was there. So when I got sick all of a sudden, I ended up doing a deep dive really to try and understand what was happening in my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very heartening to know actually that I had a diagnosis because it felt like I was going crazy. So it was really good to know that actually what I what was I was experiencing was a human a human response a normal response to something that was very abnormal that had happened to, to well things that had happened to me as a child that were really abnormal so it was really normalizing yeah I wanted to understand I, I'm a, I'm someone that wants to like understand things so I want to understand what's happening in my body what's happening in my brain I'm a bit of a learning geek I love reading so I was reading lots of stuff to try and understand what I was going through and I'm incredibly grateful for all of the research on trauma theory that has been done because it changed my life absolutely mm-hmm. changed my life I feel now on the other side of two years of trauma treatment I feel more myself than I've ever felt in my entire life um, which I'm so so grateful for and yet at the same time at the beginning of last year I was thinking I've learned all of this stuff about psychology and trauma in this huge significant part of my life and I have no idea how to integrate this with my faith so Mm. it felt like they were it almost felt like I was split down the middle (laughs) and on one side of me uh, I um you know really appreciated and valued my understanding my psychology and my story of trauma and my story of recovery and then the other side of me still believed in Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus but I didn't know how these things went together at all and I didn't see many examples of good integration of theology Mm. and psychology and so when I saw that Kerry College had a postgrad paper on human flourishing I thought hey this might be a safe space for me to do some integration work and figure out how these things can speak to each other and be friends with each other. (laughs) Yeah. You're speaking to a a really powerful thing that the church hasn't known how to deal with trauma and it hasn't understood how long it takes to heal the Mm. the process. Yes. And so I, I think that a lot of our people end up being more traumatized because I've heard this for so long as a pastor why aren't I there yet 
Mm. Why aren't I? Why aren't I whole? Why aren't I, you know, free of this mm. so much quicker? And so, yeah, what you're saying, you're really speaking to something that we really need to hear. Mm. How do we integrate? <laughs> yes. Yes, it takes work. I think um, naturally, if we don't do the work of integration, we'll just adopt whatever method we see around us. And certainly growing up, I was taught that science and theology were opposed to one another. They were enemies of each other. Hmm. And so I had to I had to rethink that and yeah, really ask the question, are they are they enemies? Can they sit together? And definitely through my a little bit of research that I've done, I definitely feel like they really and if we can understand how to sit psychology and theology down in a conversation with each other, um, I think we can be, the conversation can be so rich, so rich. Mm. Mm. What a great word, a conversation. Mm. And I've, I have heard you speak before and you've talked about a really good definition that helps integrate them. Could you share that? Sure. So science kind of explains uh, how, the way the how things are, the way that things work, and theology explains how things should be. So mm. I think as Christians, we sometimes can get fixated on how things should be, and I think hope is an incredibly important thing. But when we skip how things are and jump straight to how things should be, that's when we can really uh, damage people. Mm. So you've you've talked, or you used the the definition. Um, I'm just wondering, do we need a kind of a, a a nice simple definition of what trauma is? Because I think that that what you've just described there, it's not just something terrible. I think is what the quotes here today. It's not just something bad that happened. Is that exactly what you said? Sorry. So yeah, no, that's okay. I'll I'll ex- I'll say it again. Trauma is not the story of something that happened back then but the current imprint of that pain, horror, and fear living inside people. These events can hold us in a state of helplessness and terror and alter our perception of danger. Mm. So it's like trauma is held in our body Mm. and it's held in sensory experiences. So it's like a, a scent or or a snippet, it's like a snapshot of a movie scene or something that happened or a sound. And something very, very small can trigger that trauma memory mm-hmm. and you relive it. It's as though it's happening. It's as though all it's happening again. again, all over mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. your amygdala puts the alarm bell on, it goes crazy, and it tells you, your life is in danger, your life is in danger. When you know intellectually you're safe, but you can't tell your body otherwise. It's Mm. just the alarm's off. Mm. (laughs) The alarm's going off. You know, I can give you an example if if that helps. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, So when I first got sick, I had a fantastic supervisor who quickly helped me to realize that it was serious and I needed to leave the country. And I went to Thailand at first for two months of trauma treatment. And one day I was shopping with my husband and kids and we went into a hardware store and it was interesting. Lots of like crazy Thai knick-knack hardware things. And, and I was interested in it. All of a sudden I had like a 
uh, head-to-toe experience of like overwhelm and fear and I had to get out of there. I had to get mm. out of there. And so I went outside and realized that it was the smell that had triggered. So it smelled like, you know, tools and stuff. Mm. And that had triggered some some kind of memory of dad's workshop. And it just my body got me out of there before I even realized what was happening. Mm. So it's like, yeah, reliving these traumatic moments where you felt like your life was at risk. Your body was wow. telling you you were, you were at risk of dying. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess that's why you said earlier that the word trauma can be thrown around a little bit too easily because yes. that's obviously what you're describing there is is in, incredibly profound, I can imagine, in, in that experience and, mm. and in a different way to, to what I might, I might have in the past before this conversation even said, oh, this mm. is a trauma from my past. But actually mm. that kind of life-threatening and fight or flight mode that you go in that sounds like you went into yes um, it's very different to, to my my experiences mm. yeah wow and i think too like going back to what you said before to kind of normalize that you're experiencing this trauma in your body because otherwise you'd go what on earth is happening to me <laughs> yes you know <laughs> wonder you feel like am i going mad because you've got no you know what's going on mm. and i suppose what i was thinking then if the trauma is held in your body then the healing is going to have to be in the body and i wondered if you could talk a bit about that what is that healing like and i'm also thinking the church hasn't been very good at acknowledging our bodies <laughs> mm. um that we've seen them as things that are bad and not yes. not as good. So I was wondering, so then you've got that extra overlay of, you know, so mm. what what was the healing journey like then to reconnect mm. and integrate with your body? Yes, it was amazing. My healing journey was amazing and it was mm. really hard. Hard, yes. It's, uh, it's the bravest thing I've ever done. Mm. Mm. And I had a lot of unlearning and then relearning. So I had learnt to ignore my body, to ignore my my physical needs, my emotional needs, to to push through. Uh, and I had learnt that feelings were not to be trusted, that they would lead me, I suppose, into sin if I followed mm. my feelings. Uh, so I had to do a lot of unlearning to realize that my feelings are my friends and they actually give me amazing information as to what's going on for me that I need to pay attention to. So, yeah, learning to be at home and learning to listen to my body uh, was a real journey. My therapist helped me a lot. So the particular type of treatment, trauma treatment I had is called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprogramming. And it involves a lot of listening to or paying attention to what's happening in your body as you play over those traumatic memories like a movie in your mind. Uh, so I learned oh, yeah, how, how are you feeling right now? Oh, yeah, I feel tight in my chest. Oh, yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of weight on my shoulders or whatever it was. So that was a huge learning experience for me, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> learning how to be friends with my body. And you are so right, Kathy, that the church has not 
given a place of honour for the human body and the church. And I think that really needs to change. I think there's a real disconnect. I don't know I don't know where it's come from, whether it's come out of the focus in the 70s and 80s and salvation of the soul, having mm. to s- save the soul and the very binary thinking of the soul is the only important thing and the body doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and we've still we've still got a lot of that. I don't know. But I think God made us with bodies intentionally mm. and our bodies are good and mm. our bodies are a part of who we are and are worth taking care of and listening to. Mm. Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little about how the church responded uh, or faith community around you responded to to your story was was there uh, i guess what what went well in, in their response and what what could have gone better what can we learn from it in that as well if yeah sure uh, i love my faith community so this is in no way a diss of my faith community sure yeah, yeah. uh the response, gen- generally speaking, from the faith communities um, that I was connected with, uh, especially in the a few years that I was unwell, was overall not good. Um, okay. It was not not a, not a good experience. I think what went well was that people did their best to give me time to recover, and there was, you know, I was able to come off the field from being overseas and rest in New Zealand and get counselling and that was all seen a part of it was seen as a part of my work with the loyal workshop which I really Ooh. deeply appreciate mm-hmm. that I was given time to do that that's that's something that went well uh, not many people have the opportunity just to make getting well their full-time job and I was mm. able to do that um, which was an wow. amazing gift uh, yeah what could have gone better? A lot of people didn't understand what was happening to me. I felt judged. Uh, I felt othered. I felt mm. as though people were thinking to themselves, oh, you're one of those mentally unstable people, you know? Mm. I felt people's people wanted my healing to be linear and they wanted it to be quick. And if it wasn't if it wasn't tidy and it wasn't linear, like all the time getting better, and if it wasn't within the time frame they thought God should be healing me, I could sense the confusion or discomfort, and yeah, it 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 felt like judgment. It didn't feel good. Mm. Um, I, I think when we don't understand something, we can either ask questions. Or we can jump to what we know, even if it's only just a tiny amount, you know. And so I had a lot of that. People not asking questions, just judging from the little amount of information that they did have, which didn't feel nice. And then just a lot of um, spiritualizing of like what I was going through. So deciding that it was a spiritual thing, either a spiritual attack from Satan or I was backsliding in my faith you know, or, you know, just God's allowed, uh, you know, God wants this to happen and he's going to teach me, you know, just like jumping to a spiritualization that just wasn't helpful. And it was because of the gap of knowledge and in, in mental health. And again, it was jumping from not listening to the science of the way things are and trying to jump to yeah. 
the theology of the way things should be. Just the dis- people have a lot of discomfort, <laughs> I have noticed, around those sort of things. So it was hard for me to go to church programs. I mean, to begin with, I couldn't, I couldn't go to church programs for about a year because the noise was overwhelming. I couldn't be around groups of people; just felt panicked. But then, when I did go back, I felt a lot of judgment, and that felt really hard. Mm. Sucked. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask you a question around, you know, we think that healing should have a sort of a certain time where we should get there. Did you place that on yourself? Did you have an internal kind of narrative too about how long Mm -hmm. your healing should take? And can you tell us about that? (laughs) (laughs) I I like to be productive. It's one of my addictions that I have to keep in check. So when I got sick and had to leave India, I had two months in Thailand and I was pretty sure I was going to get better in those two months and then head back to India. Mm. And my therapist said something very irritating to me. They said, healing takes as long as it takes. I, that was the oh, last. That's not what you want to hear. It's the last no. thing I wanted to hear. Yeah. But yeah. it was what I needed to hear. Mm. And I had to readjust and readjust and readjust my expectations until I could accept that. This is going to take as long as it's going to take. As long as it takes. And I imagine that you have to keep on reminding yourself that. Mm-hmm. Because, because if you've got that internal judgment and then you're hearing it from others, you're getting it in both places. Mm. So, yeah, mm. just to, yeah. And I think people need to hear this. Mm. Mm. And I think it's, you've used a word I've heard before called it's a spectrum. Mm hmm. I quite like that because it allows us to be anywhere along a spectrum. How helpful yeah. is that kind of language? Could you could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so as a counsellor in one of the uh, lectures in the Human Flourishing paper um, talked about the idea that a lot of a lot of the Christian clients that she had coming to see her, the first thing she needed to work through was a little bit of binary thinking so I'm either well or I'm I'm unwell and there's only there's only two options and um, she would gently kind of explain uh, challenge them like really is there is there only two is there only two options or is it like what you're describing is two opposite ends of a spectrum and you can what about the other 90% in between those two extreme ends could you be anywhere along there Mm. And what would that look like and feel like? Yeah, spectrum thinking is a very helpful practice, I think. And I think it is a practice because I think the human mind just likes the likes the this or that, likes the black hmm. and white. It's just yeah. e- easier and we don't have to think yeah. so hard. But I think actually a lot of bias that we have in our culture, uh, unconscious bias, is because of this binary thinking and we are unknowingly othering people when we buy into this. Because if I'm healthy, then I I'm at one end of the you know, I'm mm. I'm in the in the good camp and that person over mm. there that's on the sickness benefit because they have depression is unwell. They're mm. way over there and they're so different. We've got nothing in common. 
you know whereas i don't i don't believe that at all even even a counselor sitting with a client they're both on the spectrum somewhere you know and then when we believe when we see things in the spectrum we can see each other's humanity and we can identify with each other we can value each other there's a lot more opportunity for connection Oh, I like that. That's that seems to have so many different, like you say, so many areas that that can relate to, mm. and it just sounds gracious. Well, the fascinating thing for me about what you've just described there is the integration that you were seeking, mm. right? That that is naming what is and also holding what could be together. Like I think, and just how mm. you've described that. That's uh, so. The, the spectrum gives you a tool for, for the integration process between the psychological or the, the scientific and the, the theological or spiritual. Is, did I hear that right? Is that kind of what, what yeah. you were, part of what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It helps us to, yeah, it helps us to live in a world that is grey and there are so many tensions everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't know how to hold them. We, we're not good at holding them. <laughs> and and we, we've had a phrase, and I like your word spectrum, but we've we've talked about the both end, you know, mm. both end holding these these things because mm. um, they both exist. Totally. So, Sarah, can you unpack a little bit more about why this is so important for us as Jesus followers to be aware of and particularly sensitive to? Yeah, I mean, as Jesus followers, let's reflect a little bit on the way that Jesus approached vulnerable people who were potentially in trauma. Mm -hmm. So if we looked at John 8, the woman brought to Jesus by that group who wanted her stoned, Mm -hmm. uh, they were desperate for judgment. Um, What did Jesus do for her? Uh, Jesus created a safe space uh, by diffusing the situation. He showed her compassion and mercy, and he advocated against judgment. Mm. And if that is the Jesus that we follow, I believe that the church has got some work to do. We're not mm. we're not there. We no. are much quicker to judge, and we are we are not creating an, safe enough spaces for all types of people in all types of bodies. Mm. Uh, so trauma is not just my hobby horse even though it is also my hobby horse, <laughs> it's a huge, it is a huge issue in society. So 70% of the population worldwide will experience trauma at some stage in their lives, wow. uh, with I think maybe 6% going on to develop PTSD as I did. We need to be focusing on creating safe spaces for people in our communities. And we need to be safe people for others to experience Christ's love through us. If we are not safe people, how will people experience Christ's love through us? All too often, Christians are not safe people because we are spending our energy judging and othering people. I think often of the common response to the ram raiding kind of thing that's happening in New Zealand at the moment. A lot of people are angry at these kids and a lot of Christians as well are judging them and saying, what is wrong with these kids? Mm -hmm. But when we are aware of trauma, we can change this question from what is wrong with these kids to what happened to these kids. Mm -hmm. 
So most people's behavior will make perfect sense when we know their full story. And so we need to start asking, what happened to you? We need to start changing the question from judgment, what's wrong with you, to what happened to you, because that develops our compassion mm-hmm. and, it, and it keeps our snap judgments in check. <laughs> it changes our posture. It really changes our posture. And you're right, we haven't loved well because we've come from that other place of, you know, what's wrong with you? Mm. And so when we're thinking about making our churches safer spaces and acknowledging that they often haven't been, yes. what can you say to pastors and leaders that can help us to make, make our church spaces safer? Mm. For leaders of churches I would say that we need to do our own work first Mm. we need to show our vulnerability uh, which takes courage we need to set the example of getting professional help when we need it dealing with our own childhood stuff if we have childhood stuff Uh, we need to share about our own mental health challenges with our people and not pretend we're fine and cover stuff up The more we can normalise conversations around mental health, the safer everyone becomes. Mm. One of the fears that I have as a church leader Mm. is as I have power in my church space, Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that my sharing, say from the pulpit, uh, Mm -hmm. some of the the weight that I'm feeling for whatever reason at this, this time, risks dumping that on the the congregation mm, yes. and that's not the, yeah that's not fair on them yes. so I suppose well, I guess my question is alongside my own work in, yes. in that space uh, mm. of, of being more well and on that spectrum how do I keep myself in check that I'm not just kind of using my platform to publicly dump stuff on people and then yeah, creating false sympathy, all that sort of. Thing. I guess, I yeah. guess, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like that could be really poorly used by myself if I'm in a bad space. If that makes sense, totally. That totally makes sense. Yeah, I think people can easily slip into that kind of space where they end up using using their church. But we, that's not where we should be doing our processing. So if if right. we have our own safe people, a good friend, a supervisor, a therapist that we are doing the processing in and then we are intentionally disclosing some of our humanness in order for connection really in order to to use our power well because leaders do have power and we need to use our power well and and I think that um intentionally being vulnerable and and saying me first is a great example of using our power well Mm. yeah that's a helpful distinction for me in in that where i'm not doing the processing in in front of everyone Mm. yeah i'm coming to go this this is something that i have i'm wrestling with or or, yeah the the Mm. processing is being being done elsewhere but but the sharing of that journey is is what can be more public if we're using the power well that's a really helpful Mm. distinction there thank you you're welcome and I was thinking too about, you know, that I, I totally am on board with what you're saying, that we as leaders need to do our work. In fact, we all need to do our work. Yes. But 
sometimes it well it often takes an event that cracks us open Mm. so what do we do when we don't know yet what do we do when we haven't had that what are your thoughts on like i will regularly go to the doctors just for a checkup just to Mm -hmm. to keep you know regular levels and just to see what is going on Mm. what do you think about that that sometimes should we just be putting ourselves and just having a kind of a general checkup rather than waiting for the event to crack us open yeah Yeah, i love that idea i love that idea yeah why not why not have a therapist or a counsellor or a, someone that we do we can just go and do a checkup with. I mean, I think it's not ideal that like I crashed in the way that I did, um, mm. and I don't wish it on anyone. <laughs> the the silver lining is that it created this opportunity for me to do my work. And if all possible, let's avoid these crashes and mm. and go and check. There's no harm. There's no harm in getting a recommendation of a great therapist from a friend that you trust mm. and going and just chatting. And the beautiful thing about therapists is that when they're trained well, they hold safe space. You can turn mm. up without an agenda and mm. they lead the conversation. So it's I used to worry like for years I felt like I needed counselling and I wouldn't go because I didn't know where to start and I didn't know how to put words around how I was feeling and so I didn't go but that's actually the professional's job. There are people sitting in our congregations who have experienced trauma and that's awful. What would you say to those people who are sitting in our congregations who have experienced trauma? Uh, Find someone you can talk with who understands Mm. and it's okay if that person is not a Christian so for many, many years, I thought that I, sh- well, I felt like I should be able to find the person I needed to speak with in church, but sometimes we can't because people haven't done training in that area. They don't, un- they don't understand. They don't know what they don't know. Uh, and so it's okay to seek professional help outside of the church. Mm. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you if you do feel like you need to talk with someone to process stuff Uh, I think it's an incredibly uh, brave thing to do yeah Mm. I was thinking too you talked about how counseling normalized what was going on for you and so I'm wondering how do we do that in our church spaces what kind of language can we create to help normalize it for everybody sitting there that often life is lived in the in-between? What kind of things could we be talking about in our church spaces that could help that? Oh, wow, that's such a great question. I think we need to talk about mental health a lot more. We need to... Oh, it's it's almost the heart posture that we need to be working on that we are turning up to church prepared to be vulnerable with each other mm-hmm. because we are ready, often ready to share the good news stories of God's answer to prayer. But man, how much courage does it take to say, I'm still in the middle of the struggle? Mm-hmm. Can someone pray with mm-hmm. me? You know, uh, can someone sit with me? I'd love to go out for coffee with you. So that's a... It's a culture change and that's a heart posture change. 
I don't know, what language can be we be using? There needs mm. to be a change in language, that's for sure. Yes, and so one of the things that we've done is used our Easter story to talk about the in-between because we don't talk about Easter Saturday. We talk about Easter Friday. We understand Easter Sunday and the resurrection, but actually the disciples lived in the in-between. And we've used that story to create language around that so much of our life is in the in-between. Yeah. So using our story. Yes, yes, and, be, and telling our whole story, not just mm. the pretty, not just the pretty tidy bits. And I think Easter Saturday is a is a fantastic example of embracing the whole gospel. We usually, we, you're right. We usually do skip from Friday Friday to Sunday, Sunday. and we don't t- talk about the darkness and the unknowing and the grief and the trauma that was Easter Saturday. But I think it's a part of the gospel story, and it's a part of real life. Um, I think another example of Christian tradition that we are not so good at these days is lament. Uh, so lament is a, has a rich Christian tradition and it is n- not very uh, – I haven't seen it practiced much these days in, in New Zealand culture and uh, I think it's um, – people don't know how to. So I think, yeah – having opportunities where people can experience communal lament kind of moments mm. is is a great opportunity to embrace all of life, bring all of life before God. And like hearing those words, words being spoken out like unknowing, we talk about a lot of that in our community that, and people will say, oh, yeah, I'm in a space of just not knowing mm. and that it's okay. Yes, and even the Exodus story, that's mm. all about being in a wilderness. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of the human experience is a is a is a not knowing, right? Mm. And it's uncomfortable and it's a perfect opportunity to learn how to trust God. And yeah, we yeah, we need to talk about the unknowing places and the wilderness mm. places and how we can trust God when we don't feel like we're in control or when things aren't going right or when we feel like we're in darkness. Which just illustrates how much we need each other on the journey, right? That's not something we can really do by ourselves. Absolutely. We really mm. do need each other. As we're coming to an end, is there one one thing that we could get our listeners to do straight away? Yes, I would challenge you to change your question or to work on changing your question. When you catch yourself asking, someone does something crazy or, you know, some kind of crazy behavior, when you catch yourself asking, what is wrong with that person? I challenge you to try and change the question to what happened to them. So that will give us, as we practice this, it will give us a better awareness of our own judgments It'll grow our empathy. It will make us safer people to be around. Mm. And it will help us to start to become more aware of the people in our lives that are carrying trauma. Wow. That's great. Sarah, this conversation has been so good. And 
we could just keep on talking. And we really want to thank you for just coming on and being open with us and giving us such really good practical things that we can be aware of. And so to end, could you just lead us in a, because we're integrating our bodies because our bodies are good. Could you just end in a little practice for us? Yes, absolutely. So we're going to do a census practice uh, that was that I did a lot of when I was uh, right deep in the middle of my trauma processing, but I still do today. It's a very helpful practice that helps me to get out of my thinking brain going round and round and round and round and get into the present moment and what is happening all around us. So we're going to start by taking um, three big deep breaths. So take a nice big deep breath in and out. Take a deep breath in and out. And one more breath on your own. Now, with your eyes open, have a look around the room that you're sitting in. And I want you to note to yourself five things that you can see. So for me, I've got some flowers in my room on the table. There's a colourful cushion over there on the couch. Name five things for yourself. Then if you feel comfortable, close your eyes and see if you can notice four things that you can hear. Might be inside the room, might be outside the room. What can you hear? Then bring your attention to what you can feel. Maybe it's the the chair that's holding your body. Maybe it's the fabric of your pants or maybe you can wriggle your toes in your socks. Maybe you've got the temperature of the room on your skin. What are three things you can feel? And then two things that you can smell. Is there anything in the room you can smell? And finally, one thing that you can taste. So do you have any remnant of that cup of tea you just had or coffee or... And I find that a very helpful practice for me to get back into my body and into the present moment. Mm. Thank you. That's really helpful. You're most welcome.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, or you've got thoughts about the Changes Ahead for the church, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Changes Aheadcast, or email us at the Changes Ahead podcast at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>